Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout in Coach, and this is episode 112. And I am excited to go through a variety of topics this week. But first of all, back in a regular rhythm of podcasting, I'm off to 29029 tomorrow, and I've moved into my new house. And well, the house that we had construction slash remodeling done. And although there's still boxes everywhere, and there's still a variety of crew members working on the house, um, it is time to start podcasting again and get through all these amazing letters and emails and texts. Yes, letters. I've received a written letter um, with a question. So it's all just a really powerful experience to really be able to enjoy doing this for you, for me. I get a lot of benefit out of this. And that's what the Weekly Word Podcast is about, for us to work together towards you achieving your ultra endurance desired outcomes, and also to sort of grow this community, help each other out, support each other with the knowledge that we've all gained or we're curious about that we can contribute. I'd love to hear from you also if you have some insights from races or something um, unique that you noticed or saw or race directors or so forth where you can say, you know what, if you're going to do Hard Rock this year or if you're doing Ironman Mont Blanc, or if you're running this 50K, or if you're cycling in this event, or if you're doing the John Muir Trail hike, or if you're climbing Everest, whatever it is, and you have some tidbits, please share them. I, I would love to share them on the podcast. And again, just continue to create a platform, a voice where we all can just share ideas, inputs, and again, bring out the best athletic version of you all as well the best athletic version of myself because what we're talking about helps me as well as I'm in my training for Qatar and for this upcoming coast ride to get myself into shape again. I'm just returning back from those ribs able to um, not swim yet. Swimming is still extremely painful, but run somewhat and biking, I'm surely able to do. This morning I went on a bike ride and I would say I'm about 75% back to normal, 80%. Standing is just not that possible. Running is a little ginger, but um, can be done for a little bit. And so ever so gently returning to training. But yeah, and here we are on the Weekly Word podcast. So this week, what are we going to talk about? We dive a bit into overfueling and how you can actually eat way too much and that there's quite a bit of confusion out there with how many calories you should take in and what's, your, what, what's actually your max of what you can absorb. We talk about no need for fancy training equipment. Man, there is so much um, uh, validation, need, um, wrongfully placed importance on really expensive high-end training equipment. And I dive into that because, you know, I'd rather get you started and get you going and get you fit on heart rate alone. You don't need all the fancy bells and whistles. I dive into an email of phantom injuries again. We've talked about this, but I got an email from a listener who wanted to, wanted me to sort of um, delve into it again. My second email was a question about rest versus zone one or active recovery. What should you do? When is it worthwhile? Why is there a difference between the two? 
I talk about a new training plan that I'm going to dive into as of next week. And this time I'm going to use a person, um, a caller, <laughs> for lack of a better description, an emailer in this case. And I talk to you guys about what I'm planning to do and why it's going to be fun and it's going to be something different. We have a third email where I talk about the usual three-legged stool approach and why it's just so important. Um, it's something I talk to athletes and curious, um, just participants in sports who are wanting, who are curious about endurance sports and how it can all work. And the final email of the day will be about two versus one workouts. Um, is it worthwhile? And I talk about the value of the load of two versus one workouts. I have a little bit of a sermon speech about uh, pain and resistance and how that equals suffering and what that means. And finally, I have a giveaway this week where I'm giving away some things that I found <laughs> in my move. Too much swag. So enjoy. Many athletes seem to think that in order to coach effectively or these days, one needs a lot of training equipment and tools. And many athletes are also surprised that when they reach out for coaching or insight or consulting or just to ask a few questions regarding their training, that I tell them none of that is needed. None of that is necessary. Is it helpful in many cases? Sure it is. Having a power meter is helpful, but it's not needed. It, it is helpful because it provides insight and data towards and validating towards what you're feeling, what you're observing. But over time, that data go becomes more meaningless because your ability to ride similar to what the power, power meter is telling you and smoothly and within a tight band and what feels like zone two and zone three and zone four or max effort or too easy becomes so ingrained in how you are able to observe it from a feeling standpoint, from a um, RPE standpoint, right? RPE, by the way, rate of perceived exertion, that it then also diminishes not its value, but in its returns of how significant the data is. I've said to many athletes over the years that if you run out of heart rate capability data, um, the tool that it is, then you're in a pretty good spot because many world champions have been crowned on heart rate alone. And then throw into that, there's also plenty of gains to be made when you're training on feel, on just training. So no, technically, we don't, we, I, <laughs> don't require any type of um, data um, uh, capturing tools. Do I like um, heart rate? Yes, I prefer it because it teaches the newer athletes how to contain themselves with regards to zones. I do require it for many of my athletes as a governor in order to not go too hard or stay away from the going too hard on easy days and too easy on hard days. I do like to have it because sometimes the athlete has been going too easy. This is usually a more experienced athlete. So yes, heart rate these days, although it is an affordable 
chest strap and watch um, is pretty important. So that's not a major investment. And the other thing is GPS with regards to pace. You want that personally on your bike and on the run just to see and monitor and compare and put the data into your mind on how you're improving your own personal gains. Do I need it? No. Do I need to know what you're holding on average miles per hour? No. Do I need to know what kind of pace you're running for your event? No. I mean, this all ties back into what I've been talking about lately with a, a few athletes locally. And that is, and, and not that they are that new, but it's more the debate I'm having with some experienced athletes. And that is, you know, if the athlete, the working athlete, the master's athlete, the athlete that has other things going on in their life, they went pro in something other than triathlon or endurance sports, can do 80% of the training really, really well, really well. I'm talking about um, executing week after week after week, 80% of the training. And 20% falls off because of life, because of demands, because of travel, because of career. But we're doing 80% basically perfectly. Um, you know, and it's hard to quantify that. What's the 20%? What are you missing? Is it just the easy stuff you're missing and therefore you're recovering? This is more a vague discussion. But the question becomes more, if you're doing 80%, can you then display the output, the success, the, <clears throat> the um, performance in your events to then say, all right, now I have been clearly executing the 80%. Now can I finish off the 20%? And remember, 100% of your training is where you currently are at and your best athletic version of yourself. Doesn't mean it's 100% of what the pros do or what an elite athlete does, or even um, some athlete that's ahead of you. It's more a question of the 100% of the prescription and what works best for you. And so that's what we want to keep in mind. So that brings us back to the, um, the tools that we're using for training. Can we get that 80% done without a power meter, without a fancy trainer road, um, um, trainer, home trainer, without GPS, without um, a six, $700 watch? For sure. Absolutely, because it's the consistency, it's the repetition, it's the focus on form, it's the doing it better, smarter, stronger, day after day, week after week, doing our best, doing it thoughtfully, doing it well prepared, doing it with the athlete's mindset, not the participant's mindset, doing it as you are training, not just exercising. You put all this, what I've just mentioned, in a bubble together and do 80% of it, you are doing plenty well. And you will see major, major improvements. And of course, there's always a little something we can pull from it. But this, at least, will get you 80% there. And 80% of our current best potential, of our ceiling, of our current self, of who we currently can be, let's say this month or in this six month window, the best possible athlete we can be, getting to 80% of that, that would be fantastic. So keep that in mind.
before you invest in a power meter, before you invest in a thousand or fifteen hundred dollar power trainer, before you invest in a six, seven, eight hundred dollar watch, before you invest in a lot of the tools, remember that you can achieve a lot of your current best athletic version of yourself, your potential without it. And I coach most of my athletes without it, actually. I get a lot of emails of, well, my TSS score and my fatigue score and my stress this score and my data showing that and my HRV this. And I tell my athletes, I tell them all, I don't look at that. I'm sorry. It's not something I chart. I coach you and I personally believe, and it doesn't mean I'm not open to learning and adding more input and insights to help me become a better coach to see how you're responding to the training. But I currently see very little um, gains by paying attention to that versus what you're writing up in your training journal and what you're observing and how you're feeling and how you're responding to the training and how you're able to navigate it and how you're feeling from a positive or negative sense with regards to getting this week done and how you're gaining confidence and having a perspective of where you want to go versus where you are right now and where you are feeling right now and how it continues to align where you want to go. So it, it there's a lot out there, but don't let that deter you from just let's get going. Let's start on this journey. And the more you learn to listen to your own body, to navigate your inner world, to understand how your body responds and ticks and what it needs and how it does with lots of sleep and good nutrition and quality training, we'll get to the point that we'll say, man, I could really use a power meter now. Then we can look on eBay or do something cheaper or see somebody who's selling them or get some older ones. I have a lot of out, um, outlets, a lot of solutions with regards to finding a cheaper alternative or um, getting the same benefit in a different way. So I really hope that helps because many are intimidated. This sport has become this sport being endurance sports, ultra endurance sport has gotten more and more expensive. And it used to be, oh, just trail running. Well, the shoes are expensive and the watches are expensive and the entry fees are starting to get up there. And then the packs, um, the vests are all getting expensive. So it's not just triathlon with a bike and a swim and a run, but also trail running and adventures and expeditions. There's a lot that goes into each of these logistics and gear and the best stuff out there that, I don't want it to deter any of us from taking on the best athlete version of ourselves. Thanks. I received a follow-up email about phantom injuries about a month ago. And phantom injuries, as I've discussed in, in the podcast before, are sort of these niggles and an awareness to injuries or a potential injury or maybe even nothing that happens or comes up when we're closer to a race. And let me explain in better detail. What that means is as our body starts recovering and coming out of the fog of fatigue and starting to freshen up for the event ahead, whether two, three weeks away or five, six, seven days away, we start to notice more what our body is doing and how it's functioning and any niggles it may have. And with that, 
freshness and awareness and tuning in, we also become aware of niggles and pains or aches or tightness that in regular training we wouldn't even think about or we wouldn't pay much attention to because we realize we're fatigued, we're trained a lot, we're stressing the body a lot, we went through strength training, or we just did a downhill run workout, or, you know, we're just sore, or that's tight because of the volume, and things like this. But when we get close to the event, we start stressing about those niggles or potential injuries, or what feels like something tight could turn into an injury. And so our heightened awareness brings that about. And then phantom injuries are also something that come about as we come closer to the event, the urgency of our body feeling good and being healthy goes up. And so therefore, what would be a tight hamstring in training days, eh, we don't necessarily ignore, but we don't stress about it. A tight hamstring coming up days before an event, we stress about and we put more urgency, focus, care towards it. And that's where I start going into the phantom injury place. Oh, my foot hurts me. Oh, my ankle's tight. Oh, my planter this. Oh, my lower back that. Oh, my shoulder this. I used to get them a lot because again, that heightened sense of awareness prior to an event. And I would always go in and see a physical therapist or sometimes even a doctor. And they say, no, not much going on here. And that's why I call it a, phys uh, a phantom injury because we, we're thinking it might be something and we're worried it is something because we're close to the event, not necessarily because it's anything dramatic, but we want to make sure that it isn't anything dramatic or could limit our performance or if there's anything we can do to improve that niggle, that tightness going away, whatever it is. And so that's phantom injuries. And it comes up all the time with my athletes and with athletes I communicate with because, again, those two factors put a lot of weight, a lot of concern, a lot of awareness, urgency around um, those phantom injuries those last few days, 10 days out of the event. So I hope that explains them well. They're not to be ignored, um, but also they're to be looked at from a different angle. So let's say you do have a, um, a tight calf, right? And you're worried, ooh, this might, or an Achilles. Um, ooh, I'm worried this event is coming up and I, sh I should get it looked at. And I'm not saying don't get it looked at. I did the same thing. Um, and that, that peace of mind that it's nothing serious has a, a huge effect, don't get me wrong. But I'm just saying, be aware, oh, you know, is this because I'm freshening up and I'm becoming more aware, in tune with my body? And is this something that's been around for a while and I just didn't pay attention because there wasn't a sense of urgency due to an event? Or is this something new that's coming up? And is it just because an event is coming up and I'm more aware? So the newness is something um, I would often look at with a doctor. The consistently being there even when you were training, I wouldn't worry about too much because you train through it. So I hope that helps. It's a vague discussion and um, description because 
it is a phantom question. It's a, it, it only comes up as we prepare and most of the time it's nothing. But I also don't want to be the one to say, don't do anything about it. And then it is something. I hope that helps. I've read quite a few um, emails from my athletes and I've been getting some commentary and been hearing some uh, chatter about how athletes are eating or fueling during their training, even for events um, or interchangeably events and um, training with over 300 calories an hour. And I'd like to strongly advise um, against that. Now, I'm not saying it can't be done, not, not at all. But when you're doing 350, 400, 450 calories an hour, that is almost impossible for your stomach to tolerate during exercise, during training, during um, activity, while blood is flowing not to your stomach, but to the working muscles. And yes, of course, it's a pretty balanced system that it can do two things at once. But the primary purpose at that point is a stomach that would like to be a little bit emptier, lighter, and more efficient in working towards propelling you forward or doing the work it needs to do via the working muscles for the specific discipline, sport, output um, that you're doing. So seeing reports, seeing updates, seeing uh, commentary where it's over 300 calories an hour, I'd, I'd very, very much defer against that. Now there's plenty of written research out there that does suggest that you should be able, <clears throat> excuse me, to absorb 300 or more calories per hour. That's true. That is out there, but feasible in the endurance space. I don't, I've never seen it possible. Um, you might be able to do it for an hour or two, and then you're full bloated and you're putting undue stress on your GI system, your stomach and how it's processing these calories. Number two is that if you eat that much over that many hours, it's too much. It's greater than what you can absorb in any scenario. So yes, an occasional hour where you eat more, that's fine. And the important thing here to understand, and, and this is what I talk about with a lot of my athletes, is I, that I'd actually have you eating under. Whoa, my phone just fell out. Are you there? <laughs> sorry, um, is that I'd rather have you eating under in your calories. And why is that? Well, because we can catch up in calories, in fuel. Excuse me, I was closing the door to my office. Um, we can catch up in fuel. We can catch up in calories. Now, we don't want to be too far under, and therefore this create a problem. But, so you, if you're, um, you know, six foot, 170, right? And you're eating 100 calories an hour, that's too little. But there's a sweet spot where you're eating, you're fueling plenty enough to sustain your output, and that you might get hungry. But getting hungry during an endurance event and during a long training day is a good sign that your stomach is working properly, is able to absorb and process everything properly and still sending you the signals of hunger. 
Notice that when we overeat or overdrink even too, we oftentimes don't feel that sensation anymore. Not because we're necessarily satiated and we have enough fuel in us. It's because we overeat and we don't, we're forcing the food down because we think we need this much fuel. I'd rather catch up. I'd rather be eating 250 calories an hour, 200 calories an hour, and notice that I'm a little short and I can always add a little bit more in the next hour to 280 or closer to 300 an hour. But for somebody to start at 350 or 400, I believe, and I've seen in many years of doing this, that it's too much and it's difficult to unwind that. Now you might say, well, I could just not eat that in the second hour, but then you're creating a deficit while you're trying to work off that overload. And that's not the proper micro drip um, format that we're looking for. We want to continuously have a constant drip system going with fuel and hydration that you're never too much under, you're never too much over. We don't want the bathtub to empty too much and then overflow again. No, we want to keep it at a steady level. So we got to keep a little bit of a drip system going to continuously keep the bathtub as it is lowering to um, remain effective and pretty much topped off. So the point I'm making here is please, please start with an understanding of less calories and increase it as you see that you need more. You see from your training, okay, you know what? Chris is wrong. I need 320 calories an hour or 325, 300 to 325. And I've tested this and I've done this by eating less and noticing I'm hungry after four hours, after five hours, and before I move to a run. Or if I'm on a long run and I notice after four or five hours, if I only eat 250, I'm hungry after four or five hours and I need more fuel. Okay, so then I've upped the fuel early on and therefore I didn't get those same sensations. Or you've taught yourself that I start with 250, 300, I notice, but then after four or five hours, I need to back off or I need to increase by um, a, a good amount. Again, knowing yours is better than just taking a simple general number and throwing it out there and thinking that will work. And I am strongly in, of, the, of the opinion that more than 350 is better barely absorbable, uh, absorbable. Now we can go to grams with regards to um, carbohydrates, but if you're sticking to calories, it's about about 30% of your burn rate, kilojoule on the bike, burn rate energy, kilojoule on the run. Most good dialed in um, watches give you a fair insight of that these days. But again, you need to track that in training and over time to make sure that your watch and your percentage of your burn rate is working well. Now, what's beautiful there is that over time, you can pretty much just put the burn rate setting on your watch and have it on a screen, whether it's your main screen or a secondary screen available, and just eat to the percentage of that. So let's say you're out for a four, five, six hour training run and you're getting ready for a hundred miler or a 50 miler. And so you see, oh, I've burned 1800 calories so far, kilojoule. Um, I need to eat 
my 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 rate is thirty percent. So, you know, you're gonna eat your uh uh three sixty you know five hundred and forty calories by now. Um, so. Okay, so if you're at 600, that's not the end of the world. If you're at 500, you're just barely enough. But at least you know the range to be in based off of you. And you're testing that number. And you're So even if the kilojoule um, energy number calories number isn't necessarily dialed in, you've monitored that number, whatever arbitrary number that is, long enough to figure out a formula of fueling from that. Right? That's the beauty here. It's not like watches give us our sweat rate, but watches do give us our burn rate for fuel. So we should never have a reason why we're underfueling or overfueling. But again, don't use these general uh, uh, garbage random numbers for your training. We put invest too much training time and thought and prep into these events to let something arbitrary like that mess with your outcome. You have an, a, a, the ability to test it. Let's know it. It's just like saying, you know, age minus this minus that number is your zone two. I mean, come on. Or the same as a pregnant woman being told by her doctor, don't exercise with your heart rate over 140. I mean, come on. It's way too general, right? And the same thing with just applying a blanket number like 350 calories per hour or 300 calories per hour or 30 grams of um, uh, carbohydrates per hour or whatever your formula is. Test it, apply it to you, understand it for you. But I would start lower and add and continue to keep the hunger sensations acute and aware so that you can continuously work from there to be successful with fueling for your event. So hope that helps. All right, another great question. Hi, Chris, is there a physiologi physiological, physiological benefit to say riding an hour in Z1 versus taking off completely? Can't find much research on the benefit of active recovery aside from calories burned. Well, that's true. It is very difficult to find research on this and many people have different thoughts on it. I once trained with an incredibly powerful triathlete, a um, 811 guy, um, Ironman guy, who used to believe that if you're not putting out at least 280 watts for him on the bike, might as well just stay home because his threshold was like 380 and his aerobic threshold where he was doing a Z2 work was basically um, 280 to 300. <laughs> so he always would say, you know what, if it's not deliberate practice, if it's not purposeful practice, you might as well spend that time resting. And there's a big part of me that agrees with that. There's things that we are doing when we go through the logistics of doing even an easy training session that will um, limit the speed of our recovery. Now, I'm a big fan of active recovery. But that fits into the bigger picture of the week. And I do believe active recovery is done in zone two. And when you do enough days of it, or you choose a swim, let's say that's easier, that's active recovery. But I'm very, very specific with all my athletes that they need, I would say, at least one full off day a week. 
And while many of my athletes might be listening, rolling their eyes going, I haven't had an off off day in two, three weeks. Um, I also have been able to notice in those more experienced athletes that when I say easy and active recovery, they really do take it easy, number one. And two, that because life and our commitments and other priorities got in the way, they already had a recovery day due to work or due to family commitments or community commitments and so forth. So therefore, I schedule a full week with the expectation that they'll probably have an off day, a travel day, or a work requirement day that just does not allow them to train effectively. That means also effectively might mean that they go a couple of days with easy active recovery workouts, which still accumulate a load, right? That's something to keep in mind. Active recovery still accumulates a load. Now, it does feel good to flush out the legs and move the soreness and achiness and get the joints and the blood flowing and all that, but it does accumulate in the load of the week. You are not as recovered. Now, recovery is a very difficult sensation for the mind as well because we often feel lethargic, disconnected when we break our rhythm of training. And usually, most athletes will comment on a day after recovery day or a recovery week, or even a few days off, that they are, they feel disconnected, they feel awful, and so forth. And we've talked about this on the podcast. What that means is, you know, it just shows that we're in the fog of fatigue. And for our body to go out of that balance, out of that rhythm, it is sending plenty of warning signals and signals to us um, that you broke the pattern, that you broke their its steady Um, state, what it was recognizing as pattern and therefore optimizing for it. And so, so back to answering the question, I am a big proponent of full days off. If I'm going to go through the logistics of getting on my bike or going to the pool or doing a run, I'd rather just not do nothing. I'd rather, excuse me, I'd rather just not do anything. I'd rather focus on my work or catch up on some reading or do something else, such as you could, for example, do a good massage or stretching session. So you are going into the mindset of a slash workout, but it's not going to tax tax you. Um, I know other athletes that use, I used to do this as well. I used to go through that through the club I was a member at and use the sauna and use the whirlpool and use the an ice bath and then use this sauna and or steam room just to go through some cycles of letting my body exhale right so nothing physical but still checking in with my body that's a great way to do that I have a lot of my athletes that I like to have them schedule the massage on either either their off day or after their last workout on the the day before their off day but active recovery is a is a is a tricky conversation um i prefer off and i've learned this the hard way over many years in coaching as well as with myself i used to think "Eh, off days i'd rather have active recovery whether for myself or for my athletes but i found the more i can get my athletes and myself into a rhythm of knowing that there's a day off a week, they then optimize those days for work or family commitments or exhaling and just taking some time or walking their dogs longer or 
they do all kinds of different things. Meet friends for coffee or do something in the community or whatever that is. They work their off day into something that they can then optimize their overall life and balance and state of being. So I hope that helps because uh, it's, it, again, it's, it's unique to everybody, but um, I think it's important to understand that there's a difference. There is still a load and I think the priority should truly be on rest so that your ability to give it your mental attention and your physical attention to the training later in the week is um, even fresher. Even that minuscule 3 or 5% or 10% more because of the rest day on Monday or on Tuesday, whenever that was, many days before, it gives you that little extra oomph, that little extra purposeful practice so that you have better outcomes. And that's the key. Practice and training should be purposeful, deliberate. And active recovery might be part of it, but rest also is defined very clearly. All right, I'm excited to talk about a new idea that I'm going to try on the podcast here. And so what I was thinking about with regards to putting out training plans worked quite well with the 50k. I've gotten a lot of feedback and a lot of people have written it down and used the, the format to build out their own training plan. Well, I thought I'd take that to another level. And I thought I'd take a listener that is inquired about training or curious or um, can't really afford it or whatever it is. And based off of gut and a little bit of back and forth on email and communicating and a story around it, um, I thought I would walk them through a training plan. And so you remember a few weeks back on the podcast, I had the question of the runner who ran their first 10K, I think it was, um, and now was getting ready for the Mumbai Marathon. Well, First of all, it's not a she, it's a he. And Sunny, um, I mistakenly, and I am very, very sorry about that, um, I made an incorrect assumption of uh, thinking it's a she, and it's a he. And he was very kind to reach out because I let him know that I answered a lot of the questions in depth on the podcast, and then he heard that I was referring as a she, and he pointed that out. So I'm glad he didn't take it personally, and um, we struck off a conversation that he was interested in coaching, of course, with that. He had said that in the original email. Well, um, getting ready for the Mumbai Marathon and doing the things he's doing, um, affording my coaching was probably not an option. I knew this early on, even before having a conversation with him. So therefore, I thought this might be an opportunity for us to take somebody on the podcast and check in every four weeks or every two weeks with the four-week plan, the four-week build, with the four-week progression, and get feedback and run somebody, literally run somebody live through this type of um, training plan and coaching. With that, what I like is that it's a two-way street. Many of you can then hear the concerns or questions or the inputs that said athlete has as they are going through the plan. 
And these aren't going to be long check-ins. They'll be maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes that I'll use on the podcast to do a brief check-in where we are with the training, how it's going, what we're observing, and sort of give you an insight of how the coaching might work. Now, it's not coaching coaching. I'm definitely going to give Sonny um, a variety of general information and then go into some detail on how he should go about it and then put him on his um, path for those four weeks. And then maybe at two weeks, do a brief check-in. And then maybe at four weeks, do the check-in of how those four weeks went and what goes next for the next four weeks, which would then be, let's say, weeks five through eight, or then subsequently nine through 12 and so forth. So we've got the Mumbai Marathon in January, I think it is. I don't know it off the top of my head. But I'm excited to get this started and um, see how that back and forth, that exchange will go and benefit all of you. Now, I'm thinking if it works well, we do similar with a 70.3 training plan. And I know many of you have been saying, when's that training plan coming? But because this came up with a marathon, as well as that many athletes do a marathon in the winter, um, in January, December, November, February type of format, I thought it would be good timing to do this 16-ish, 20-ish weeks to a marathon. Now, Sonny ran a 10K um, a few weeks ago, and now he's getting ready for a half marathon. And so that also um, allowed for a good cutoff to come up with regards to how we're going to do this training plan. He has a half marathon on the 25th of August, um, in India. And so then we'll probably a week later after he gets some recovery time, um, get going on his build towards the marathon in Mumbai. From that, um, we're also, we've already done a five times one mile run test. He sent me that information yesterday. And to give you some insight, for example, he ran his five one-mile repeats, the test on my website. And his first mile was 844, then 846, 832, 833, 8.12. So from that, we can clearly see um, that his threshold running rate, if the effort was properly done at 90 to 95%, um, is looking to be around 835, 840 pace. So we've got some work to do to find a minute and a half in the next you know, 20 weeks in his running to be able to run 25-ish miles at around 7-minute miles in order to be close to 3 hours. Now you say, well, it's a 26.2-mile race. Um, I always say to my athletes, it's up to you on that last mile, mile and a half. That's your own guts and glory. I don't coach you for that. That's how badly you want it. That's inside of you. That's in your heart. And so I prepare you for 24 to 25 miles. Uh, same, Similarly in an Ironman, I prepare you basically for the first two loops of three loops. And that last loop is on you, is on guts and glory. Now, of course, I prepare you strategically and fueling and hydrating and so forth to get through the event. But you, you, I think you can see the point I'm making. So that's his threshold pace currently. So his zone two pace will be a lot slower than that. 
And his heart rates in that range also seem to have settled in around 165 heart rate with um, his threshold. So again, at that heart rate, running those rates, races, paces, excuse me, will require a fair amount of training. But as I always say, we all start somewhere and we're going to get this journey going and the how and when, as I discussed, will matriculate as it will. And we will see based off of Sonny's um, participation in the plan and how diligently he does it and where we can go with this. But the fun thing is here we have our line in the sand. We have his 10K time. We're going to have his half marathon time. We're going to see where the fitness runs out. We have this data and now we have a bunch of information to go from. And from there, we're going to train. We're going to build a training plan. We're going to go weeks one through four. We're going to do some strength training. We're going to do some core. We're going to do it all. And many of you can sort of follow along and please ask any questions or send them in so that I can bring them up on the check-in calls and the, the larger um, context podcast where I discuss what the next four weeks of training will be. So I'm excited to do this. I thought it would be something different and I thought it'd be fun to have listener athlete participation because um, how I'm talking about it and the things I'm describing, sure, they come from many years of coaching, but the questions you might have and the things you might be curious about or the things that you are missing or um, don't understand in the training or are not connecting the dots, I need to know that and hear that from you so that I can deliver on that for you. Um, I, I have the narrative and the history in my head and maybe that needs to be shaken up a little bit to get more um, information out there so that many of you can take on, which a marathon is for many people their first real endurance event. And it seems daunting, but it shouldn't be. It's completely possible. And I believe so many of you can do it. And then from there, you know, moving on to many of the other ultra endurance adventures. So let me know what you think. In my move, I also came across some overstock items, as I should say. I came across a cycling jersey that I would gladly give away if you want to email me your um, address. But it's a women's cycling jersey by Castelli. And it's a women's extra small. So if you're extra small and you would like a cycling jersey, please feel free to email me. I also have a wetsuit, a brand new in its packaging Roko wetsuit that I'm giving away. It's been in my garage um, for quite some time. I'm not sure why, but I would not feel good about selling it since some of you might be wondering why I'm not doing that because I was given that by Roka probably for a camp. And um, yeah, so I should be giving it away. So I don't have the size of that right now in my um, head. It's downstairs, but it's definitely a female and I'm pretty sure it's a size small, but I will confirm that by the end of this podcast. But same thing, feel free to send me a brief note um, saying hi and um, that you are interested in the wetsuit. And then if I have a lot of requests for both these items, I'll figure out a way to determine how to fairly... Uh, let somebody um, take advantage of getting these for free. All right, this next topic actually was a topic I had with one of my athletes. And 
It brings up a bigger discussion that I thought I'd dive into, and it's not necessarily an email question, but it's more a mindset question. And it talks, it goes something like this. I had some fear of doing this test, to be totally honest. I feel nervous to push so hard. And I would like to hear what you tell yourself when you find yourself resistant to going deep. The key word, I think, is resistant as I think that is a big part of being in the moment of pain, not resisting it. And I agree with this. Um, pain is something that is ever present in our lives. It can be emotional pain. It could be physical pain, the one that we feel literally like somebody pinching us or pain of the muscles or pain in the back or pain in the ass, like my kids sometimes. But um, And so it is always present. And our ability to embrace pain, to put our arms around it and accept it for being what it is, becomes very important. And this is a deeper topic that I feel very close to because I love that aspect of endurance sports and training and ultra endurance adventures. Because we learn through that process, through those adventures and going longer and longer and deeper and deeper within us, how to embrace that pain. And I'm not saying that we accept pain as a given, but like we talked about in earlier podcasts, that we sort of dance with it, that we realize it's there and we don't fight it. And what this athlete brought up is resistance versus pain. And resistance is a choice we make. Pain is not a choice we make. Pain is always there. Now, sure, you might argue in training, you have pain and you can slow down and have less pain or no pain by going easy or not training at all. But in order to get where we want to go, whether that's in physical achievements through athletics or work and career or personal growth, we have to overcome obstacles. And a lot of times, overcoming those obstacles includes pain. Understanding that pain is always present and is always going to be part of the journey to make us better, whether as athletes or as human beings. We want to learn to not resist the pain, but walk in sync with it, in parallel with it. It could, like I said before, it can knock on the door. We don't have to invite it in and do this cliche like we hear a lot about of make it our friend. No, but by fighting it, by resisting it, we do what's called, um, we close the equation with what I call struggle. Many would argue, philosophers as well as others, would argue that the struggle is pain plus resistance. Resistance is, again, our choice. And so when we combine that with the ever-present pain, the yin and yang, the lightness and the darkness, right, that's always there, the plus, the minus. There's polarity in our universe. That's how the world works in every aspect. And with um, love, there is evil. With um, pain, there is pleasure, right? With So anyway, my point here is, Resisting the pain creates the struggle. Resistance plus pain creates struggle. 
And so back to the athletic self here, that is the self-talk that when we are going through this phase of growth physically in order to push harder, new paces, new wattages, faster paces in the pool, greater height, heights, um, stronger leaps and bounds in our athletic ability and prowess. Pain is a given. We know that's coming. Those hill repeats hurt. There's a struggle involved with that, those hill repeats, but only because we know that they'll be hard. And the struggle is because, again, pain plus resistance. When I put hill repeats, steep, all-out, best effort, puking hard hill repeats on the schedule for myself as well, I think about them days in advance. I'm worried about them. It's my internal resistance. It's my fear. Resistance is a fear of the pain, a fear of that hurt coming from very deep spots within us. And so how do we overcome that? We don't necessarily look to overcome it. We look to work with it. We work to not necessarily um, avoid it. We look to work with it. And so when I'm dealing with pain, when I'm dealing with fear, I try to really, really work on embracing it, on hugging it. I literally visualize myself hugging it. I literally take the pain in my legs as I'm on a trainer or I'm riding my bike up a hill or I'm running. And I literally try to pull myself into my body and work with the pain. And I, I um, accept it with a, a type of gratitude that this is the way I'm doing it right if it's doing if it's this hard. I'm on the path. I'm on the most linear direct path if it's this painful, right? I can't get around the pain to reach my future desired outcome. And so we can delay the pain. We can take that pain and spread it out over many sessions, <laughs> over many months, and gradually incrementally bring about a little bit of pain but the total amount of pain remains the same. So that is the mindset that I would take towards pain and training. Now, I'm not a psychologist and I'm not, I don't pretend to even come close to being one on how it might work with regards to emotional pain and relationship pain and so forth. I'm not even coming close to that. But I do similar and work with athletes on a personal level um, similar with regards to embracing pain, understanding that because there is sunlight, it will cast shadows. And just because um, we are in the shadows, in the darkness, does not mean that there is not sunlight right on the other side. That's what's creating the darkness, the shadow. And so those are the valleys and the mountaintops I talk about in long 100-mile or 50-mile runs. We all go through our peaks and valleys. And we will come out of the valley. And so the pain, when it comes from an emotional standpoint, is something we want to think about too, of how am I in this situation? Am I able to understand it and therefore embrace it? But again, I don't want to get into that space on the podcast because that's really not something I should be um, 
spewing disinformation of. But in this case, the athlete asked me what it is and how I work with pain and what it is. And I literally go through that um, formula and I, I think about resistance and pain makes it a struggle. And sure, we do have a lot of struggle in our training and there's a lot of overcoming and work and with that pain, but I want to separate that out. I don't want to resist the pain because this is what I signed up for. This is what I wanted to do. And I know I'm doing it right when there is pain. So I hope that contributes in some way to all of you having a better way to embrace the pain of training, to give it a warm hug and appreciate it and say a little gratitude um, prayer with it by saying, you know what? I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're knocking on this door. I'm glad I'm able to dance with you because I know therefore I am doing it right. I received a, another good email. I mean, all these emails are just fantastic. Um, I have a variety of good ones that I would like to continue to dive into being mindful of time. But this one brings about the three-legged stool and the balance of um, how we go about this endurance endeavor. The important thing to remember, right, is that we all went pro in something other than the sport, the event, the expedition, the adventure that we're doing, the discipline that we're practicing. And as we keep this in mind, hopefully, to continue to place the priorities on family and career and the important things we do on our day-to-day -day basis, the struggle is, the difficulty lies around being able to still um, allow that endurance self, that um, that persona inside you, that curious curiosity, as well as that flame that might have um, been dampened over the last few years, not in a negative way, just because other things and life got busier and came up, um, is still burning. And so how do we make this all work? Because I believe, as you all know, I believe 100% there is a way to make it work. But we have to be creative. We have to be disciplined. We have to be committed. We have to be really smart about how we go about this. And this email talks a little about it about that, talks a little bit about that. Hi, Chris, I would like to first thank you for all the hours and inspiration you've given me, and I'm sure many others with your podcast. It's because of that that I'm going to give a 70.3 a shot next August. I completed a marathon eight years ago and did most of the training in what I can only assume was mostly zone three. It left me pretty burned out um, with sore knees and a bit of, of strained relationship with my wife because I was exhausted and irritable most of the time during the four-month training period. I've since run mostly for exercise and cycled as my commute to work during the nicer months here in Massachusetts. I would love to be able to get my fitness to a point over the next eight months that when it comes to buckle down for the 70.3 training, I won't burn myself out again and remain productive in family life and in training. I'm hoping a strong zone two base will give me, get me there, which brings me to asking you if you would mind going and giving me some help with determining my zones. He's 43, he's 165, and he gave me his mile repeat times, of which I gave him his zones. So I would recommend to John here in this case, John, keep this email in front of you. Keep that paragraph and those key sentences in front of you in order to continuously balance that, yes, you're a pro in something different. 
And of course, we all want to find out what we're capable of, but we don't have to find out right away. And again, if we embrace this as a lifestyle to understand that this is a, a journey, a longer path, and that 70.3 next August is only one of the many points, stations along this uh, railroad line to your North Star, to whatever that is, to what inspires you, because your curiosity and your interest in being healthy and fit most of you, it's not for vanity purposes. Of course, we want to feel healthy and alive and fit, but that's not a vanity question. That's how we're um, evolutionarily wired. It's primal within us to be active and to get our blood flowing and to breathe heavy and to do all the things from a physical aspect that we do in endurance training. And you all have heard on this podcast how I'm such a huge believer that endurance training um, taps into way more than any other sport really, endurance sports, endurance, um, ultra endurance sports as well, that um, from a primal aspect, from our lizard brain aspect, from our evolutionary background and living in the high plains and hunting and, and how we went about and, and survived as a species, it's so deeply within us that our curiosity and our internal drive to continue to find out what we're capable of as endurance athletes I think that is a huge component on why it draws so many of us in. And I'm not saying this from a standpoint of as if this endurance world is so huge or has such a huge underbelly. Yes, it is still a fringe sport in so many ways for so many people. There's bigger sports out there. But those tribes, because that's what it is, the tribes, whether you're an NFL fan, and I love the NFL and I love watching football and I'm part of that tribe as well. But again, that gladiator aspect, the fighting aspect, same thing. It brings something forth in us that is primal and that we don't even know what we're activating, but in our own self-discovery, in our own health, in our own fitness, in our own willing, wanting to move, wanting to be physical, I think endurance events and training brings forth, touches way more of that deep inside us than other sports. But anyway, so I would keep this email and understand that this is something important to you but that you are on a journey. And like I've said before, it's not about the how and when. It's more a question of that you are going to do it. Your future self, you've already put that out there, that you will do a 70.3 next August. Now, how will you go about it, right? How will you remain successful with regards to work and family and keeping your body healthy to continue to train in a healthy manner? That is your question and that is buried in this email and the four months to a marathon those 16 weeks is called um, cramming for the test eight months in order to gradually get ready is not cramming for the test but again you want to embrace this as a lifestyle and if that means today you're only getting in a 45 minute bike ride or a 30 minute run or a 25 minute swim or a 30 minute stretch session at the gym or whatever it is, or you're eating healthier, you're taking incremental steps to becoming that athlete next August. And that's what I want to, why I want to highlight this email. We have so many ways to continue to improve ourselves to become better athletes over when we have a long run-up window. And we can continue to build 
positive momentum to create those connections in our brain and our body mind body connection of the things that we're doing they're all positive they all make us feel better there's things released in our body that then have a, a self-perpetuating effect and that is what i want john in this case to embrace to understand to read this sentence i completed a marathon eight years ago and did most of the training and what I can only assume was mostly zone three. So slow down the training, do it so that it's sustainable. It doesn't burn you out, doesn't leave you with sore knees and doesn't leave you with a strained relationship with your wife because that's not worth it no matter what. I was exhausted and irritable most of the time during the four month training period. So I'm making a longer run up in eight months, right? But, um, you need to fuel and hydrate well and make sure you're not exhausted and irritable when you finish your workout. And you need to do all the things around your training in order to make sure that you are still the energetic contributing household member and effective at work despite the training. And that's the part, that's what makes you, that's the holistic approach about this. The, what I was talking about that the rest days or the recovery weeks, you actually take and do things with the family or do things around the house or contribute to the bigger picture of the family portion of the legged, three-legged stool. And that you are continuously alert and getting the sleep and taking care of your body so that it recovers well from the training sessions in order to be effective at work and not irritable there because I guarantee you, you are irritable at work as well if your wife is pointing it out. <laughs> That means the other eight hours a day or however many hours a day you work, it's not like it didn't, wasn't present there either. So again, it's a gradual buildup. Take incremental steps. Don't judge yourself if today you didn't make the two-hour bike ride or the three-hour bike ride on the weekend or the 90-minute bike ride during the week or whatever it is, that one-hour bike ride, and you got in something or you had to shuffle some things around. And today it works better that you get a 30-minute bike ride, uh, run in and it was supposed to be an hour run, but you only got in 30 minutes. It's okay because you want to be able to come back and do it again and do it again and do it again. And that's what builds the fitness. Keep that North Star in front of you that you're going to blow through that 70.3 in August. And this is just one of the stops along the way on continuing to live a lifestyle of health and fitness and endurance and the ability to take on events and come home from the training and still be 100% there for your family, 100% alert and available in training and balance it all, not balance in equal balance, but we know what we're talking about when I say balance in the meantime on this podcast. So make sure you spend your days and might have to journal this or note this on a daily basis in the beginning to get a good um, habit or routine going. And that is maybe at the end of the day, you look at your day and go, where did I spend my time? Was it on work, family, and a little bit of training? If it isn't those three, because if it's important to you, it will be those three. Maybe there's a fourth component to it. Maybe there's a fourth leg to the stool. I don't know that. But if there's a fourth leg, was it also with that fourth area? Did I spend my time primarily in there? And if it's not 95% in those four or three buckets, then then you're disrespecting yourself, your training, the time you spend at work, you're disrespecting your family and your wife. I don't know if you have kids yet and so on. Um, 
because you're not doing it properly. You're not diving it into it with the proper commitment and keeping your end of the bargain. That's the key here too. Keep your end of the bargain. And then that way, your wife will understand. Guess what? There's days he's going to be irritable. Why? He's doing everything. He's keeping his end of the bargain and he wasn't able to keep up with sleep last night because he's so focused on keeping his end of the bargain. He's checking in with me. He's contributing. He'd had to do some stuff late at work last night. And then he came home and went for an hour run on the treadmill despite it being 1030 at night. And I realized that and they see your commitment. They see your willingness to get done <laughs> and continue on and not judge yourself and continue to embrace it, everything and with open arms and say, all right, you know what? It's going okay, the training. But more importantly, how are you? More importantly, how's my career? How's my work? Is that going well? Or am I taking myself too seriously in my training? And the others are being neglected. Because again, as I keep saying, you can get fitter and fitter and fitter. It doesn't have to be next August that you come to the fittest version of that you could possibly be. That's not the goal. The goal is for you to successfully complete a 70.3 next August. And with that, successfully might be feeling good while balancing life, while not becoming irritable while not getting sore knees and injured. There's many, many ways to define that success. But don't try to be everything next August in your athletic self. Get closer. Get better at it. Know that you're going to do it. And the how and the when towards the best, fittest athletic version of yourself will happen as it needs to happen, as I've talked about a lot. So... My little three-legged stool conversation <laughs> this week. All right, let's dive into the final question here. And again, these I love these questions. They're so good. I mean, I'm looking at this inventory of questions that I still have, and I'm excited to dive into each one of them. There's so many good ones. And these are all just August. Hi, Chris. I'm new to triathlon. Just completed my first Olympic and completed first sprint a few months before that. Awesome. By the way, Speaking of awesome, I got this email today. Um, I'm going to jump to here. Sorry for whoever was just up with regards to the um, training. But this was pretty amazing. It's from a, a listener who I answered a question on, on the, on the um, podcast here. And she followed up that she did Ironman Texas and she was successful with it. But listen to this. This is just amazing to me. And, you know, everybody can have their beliefs or their things going on in life, but I think it's important to highlight somebody who's gone through a struggle like this, for example, and not even a struggle, but a choice. So she did an Ironman, but she has, um, here we go. Uh, what was it? I'm looking for the warning. Um, I have religious convictions that I not cut my hair and wear dresses, skirts, so she swam, she biked, she ran in dresses. She did an Ironman in dresses. I look a bit different than those around me, but I get nothing but respect out there. I love that. That's our community right there. It was a bit daunting learning to swim, not to mention a 2.4 mile distance in a dress, but she did it. 
thanks to using tips from my podcast. This isn't about me. This is more about her. I mean, fantastic. It wasn't impressive, but I swam a 141, biked a 659, and ran a 610 marathon. Sure, we'd want to get her, get her a little bit more run fit, as you can hear the coach comes out. But I think that is just amazing. I told her this is just amazing. I mean, to stand for your beliefs and remain committed to still do an Ironman like that, I just could not say enough to her how proud I was to have had a little tiny bit of contribution to her achieving that um, goal outcome. I mean, again, amazing. So back to Bo in this case. Um, completed first sprint a few months before that. So on your way. Great. I love it. I'm setting up my training for the fall and winter, and I was considering starting jogging to and from work, 3.75 miles each way. My question, if done in zone two, is two shorter runs as good as one run twice as long? Yes, it's great. I used to love commuting to and from work. Now, my commute back in the day <laughs> when I wasn't a coach um, was a little bit longer. It was about 11 miles each way, and I could make it on the bike a little bit longer to about 18 miles one way. But this is a great way to create load and volume. And it's often overlooked in coaching and in endurance training, especially those of you that are not coached. What's amazing about it is you can run that one way, that 3.75 miles, whatever, if it takes you 45 minutes, right? I'm not, I don't know if you're a fast runner or just new to running, which you're probably new. So let's just say 45 minutes. Well, from that 45 minutes, from that 3.75 miles, you'll be recovered pretty quickly within a few hours. And then... You can quickly put on another workout, 3.75 miles um, home again. It's a great way to build volume, to build incredible fitness, and so forth. So this is a common theme that I use in my marathon training because I don't want athletes to just run big miles or big hours because after the first hour and a half, when that run form goes to crap and it's just sort of slogging along, I don't want you practicing slogging. I want you practicing running. So therefore, again, this is a great way to increase the load, increase frequency. When you run to work in the morning, your legs, you're going to be doing good quality running, not necessarily quality and speed, but quality in form and technique and posture and light feet. Now you'll recover for the afternoon and then do it again. So in a matter of 24 hours, in a matter of 12 hours, whatever your work hours are, You've just run seven and a half miles, all of it, good quality. Now throw into it that you might even have a backpack on your back or something with you, so you have a little bit extra resistance and work with you, fantastic. If done in zone two is two shorter runs as good as one run twice as long. So that's a little bit more um, complicated because the question there is, what's your run fitness currently? And does your um, technique sort of, fall apart at six miles or at five miles because then yes then two shorter runs because you can maintain more deliberate practice good form for the two workouts the two times 45 minutes are all really good technique versus one longer run let's say an hour and 20 or hour and a half of which the last 20 minutes are not are just slogging through so this becomes a little bit 
vague and nuanced here, right? Because it depends on you. But overall, the, the, the strategy for any of you is very good. Frequency is a great way to get volume, a fantastic way to get volume. So something to really consider. Um, a lot of coaching principles work around exactly this too, where let's say you do your um, strength work in the morning, you recover from that, and you do something easy with good form in the evening. So you're spacing it well enough that you can quickly recover, not necessarily quickly, but within a few hours, um, eat right, hydrate, rest, then another training bout, right? We want repetitive bouts, repetitive bouts, repetitive bouts so that the training effect keeps getting hit, but with the proper recovery. So if the session isn't too long, we recover quicker. If the session isn't too demanding, we recover quicker. So many bouts makes great makes for great volume in the week. Now we want to include some work and some quality in there so that the, the stresses get expanded and we're working on a variety of strengths and limiters, right? So then you wouldn't want to run commute every single day. But this is a great thing to do twice a week, for example, to get in 15 miles in two days of you're not in a row, not recommend in a row, um, where you're getting in four workouts in, you know, a, in two one day windows. So yes, it's a great strategy. And I hope that helps. All right, everybody, I think that'll close it out for this week. Um, this is actually a sort of a shorter one. Um, but I think we dove into a lot of really good topics. Uh, back at it again. It's a good song out right now. I know my kids say to me that it's like, dude, that was like so two months ago, and now I finally like the song. But anyway, um, I'm off to 29029. I'm excited to um, take part in that event again. I'm doing a talk. <sighs> that looks like 250 people. Um, I'll be talking about journals and um, effective journaling and how that works from an athlete perspective, as well as... Um, personal development perspective. And the cool thing is um, my talk is right after Colin O'Brady's talk, who's going to talk probably a fair amount about his solo unsupported um, crossing of Antarctica, which is absolutely amazing. Um, I get to travel up there and hang with Rich, as well as a few other people. Um, I get to see a few athletes there who are taking part in 29029. And uh, yeah, should be a fun weekend that I'm excited to take part in, coach at, help at, talk at. And so um, whenever I do these talks, I'm always, it's funny, I'm totally comfortable talking on the podcast about anything. But then when I say, all right, well, I should do my talk or discuss my talk and the topics that I discuss in there on the podcast so that I could share with all of you as well. That I, that I pause about, but yet everything else I talk about. So hopefully this talk goes well, and therefore I feel confident and, and good enough about it to share on the podcast because um, there's more of you listening than just 250 people. And that wetsuit sizing that I owe you is a Maverick X uh, full suit, and it's a women's ST. So I think that's a small, tall. You can look it up on the Roco website. Um, you can hear <laughs> I'm out of breath. 
from running down a flight of stairs to the garage to get that sizing. That's how out of shape I've gotten. Um, so yeah, um, feel free to send me an email if you're interested in getting that. I'll ship it to you. Probably the only thing is if you're overseas or something like that, I'll ask you to pay for shipping. But if you're somewhere in the U.S., I'd be glad to help contribute in that way. So thank you so much, everybody, for being patient with me the last few weeks with the irregularities of the podcast, as well as, you know, trying to keep some sort of content coming out there. And I really appreciate all the amazing feedback and emails I get. And, you know, you really motivate me to continue doing this at the highest level and continue to elevate my game and trying to stay on top of making sure I am contributing to all of you because of the amazing stories and emails and follow-ups you send me. It's getting very encompassing um, how I, I'm emotionally attached to how many of these amazing emails come across on the endeavors and adventures you're taking on. I heard from one of my former athletes, he signed up for or signing up for another event um, next year, also for charity and so forth and raising awareness towards environment and global warming and uh, ice caps melting and so forth and, and the whole glaciers disappearing. I mean, brutal. I was dead in it this summer up in Alaska and seeing how that um, the glaciers have receded and the, the, it shows you the years where it used to be and you're passing these signs and going further and further up this mountain, up this valley and realizing that this glacier is disappearing more and more. But um, that's neither here nor there right now. But he is going to ride his horse. This is the one who rode his horse the length of Sweden. Well, his next adventure we're getting ready, ready for is six hours of riding horses so that he's rotating through three for speed purposes. Then he's going to swim for six hours, and then he's going to run for 12 hours. So for a 24-hour period, continuous movement, and what he will call um, environment, I think, is what he's interested in calling it. I'm not sure if that's final yet or if I should be sharing that. But again, everybody's been so creative and amazing adventures. I have an athlete heading up Everest in a couple weeks, and I'm excited to see him um, attack that mountain with energy and love and spirit and a soulful approach. We talked a little bit about that. And um, yeah, there's all kinds of amazing, amazing stories. Um, as you all know, I'm very proud of that first American born um, of Muslim faith special forces operator that has now worked his way through all the qualifying and he's now in ranger school he's graduated from ranger school and next is on to um, the next level i'm not sure where the green beret aspect kicks in and the, the different special forces take over i am no longer part of this but um, in his prep to get through all the schools and get through all the aspects of this training and in prep for it um, we worked closely together and i'm extremely proud of him for achieving something that difficult too. Um, doing everything he does with his religious beliefs and being so different, again, amazing. And I'm proud for the, the character values and the strength that someone like him has shown. So 
Anyway, have a great week, everybody. I'm off to 29029 in the morning. I'm going to do an endurance event of my own. It'll take probably about 30 hours, 33 hours to get through. I'm excited to <laughs> do that with no fitness. Um, but you know what? I'm going to embrace and hug that pain for as long as I can. Have a great week, everybody.